Easter, everybody. It is good to see you guys. I tell you what, I, I, you know what's fun? I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while, and it's even though it's like a third of the face, it's really good to see that. want to say hello to everyone who's watching us on the live streams, and hopefully, hopefully people remembered that this is the service that we're live streaming because we added a service, kind of mixed things up a little bit. Um, I'm going to start off this Easter service the way that I've always started off Easter services for going back a long, long time. He is risen. All right, all right, all right, all right. Listen, listen. Okay, see, that's a, there's a thing. This is a thing. Um, and it's okay, because last year we didn't really have a, so we had a live stream thing, but it wasn't interactive. So you're out of practice. Now, this is something, this is something that, that's kind of historic, that Christians have done for like hundreds of years. So it's not, he is risen, yay! That's, that's actually kind of cool. But it's, he is risen, and then you respond, he is risen indeed. All right, so let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen. risen. All right. That was much better. That was much, much better. Um, Wow. So Easter Sunday, I was thinking about that have changed since last Easter Easter Sunday. Um, Last Easter Sunday was weird, you know, because we had, I filmed my Easter sermon before Good Friday. So that was kind of weird. I filmed it on a Thursday and uh, Grimaldi, you know, had all the worship kind of together. But we would, we would show up here, even though, you know, we weren't having services, we would show up here to broadcast the, the, uh, the transmission. And the, every, you know, there were like four people who had jobs. I didn't have a job, so I was completely superfluous. But I would come anyway just to be like, yay team. And because it was like felt weird not coming to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, and, and it's just so, it's so nice to be able to have so many of you here, and of course, we're just always thankful for people who are joining us on the live stream. But boy, this year, you know, it's been, it's been a year, you know? I mean, boy, we didn't think that we'd still be wearing masks, you know, a year later. And, and I, think, I think we're maybe getting closer to the end of that. Everything seemed optimistic about the, about the vaccine. I'm getting my shot on Tuesday. I didn't schedule it for Friday because I thought if I don't feel good, I don't want to, like, have to, like, limp through Easter weekend. So let me get to the other side of that. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so we didn't think that. And there were just so many, so many things that we've had to deal with this past year. You know, I mean, uh, there was, there was uh, so many fears that we had. And, and, and some of you, you know, lost jobs and, and uh, maybe were, were furloughed from your job. And your job, maybe some have come back and others. Our schools have all been disrupted. Uh, you know, we're working remotely. And it seems like, like almost like the majority of people are still working remotely. That, that seems to be the, seems to be the case. Uh, and then, you know, there's just been so many challenges. Some of you, uh, at some point this past year, you were really sick. Uh, there are some people in our church now who have COVID, who are, who are not feeling well, who are maybe watching on the live stream. Some of you have lost loved ones. I mean, this, is, this has been a year and what I want to talk about, and you know, and there's also there's all of the all of the the other issues that have been going on besides COVID and and you know George Floyd's death, and now there's the there's the trial that's going on, and and then uh, what we what we've just been seeing with the Asian American Pacific Island community that just just seems to be getting worse. I just I hear about more and more incidents and more and more things that that are happening, and so there's so there's so much there's so much going on in the world right now that what I wanted to talk about this. Easter is, I think, maybe one of the most important things that I can talk about. Like, what's going to enable us to get through? 
What's going to enable us to, to be able to endure, no matter how hard things get, you know, to, to get through 2020 and deal with whatever 2021 is going to throw our way? One of my favorite phrases that I use, and you guys might have noticed, I've got these phrases that I use over and over again. And it's like I'm trying to teach us some important things, get them like deep in our souls. And so one of my favorites is that hope is our superpower. And so what I want to talk about today is hope. I want to talk about how because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we can have hope. We can have hope that can make a huge difference in our life, that can absolutely transform and change our life. And so to kind of frame this message, this message about hope, I'm going to look at uh, a passage from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. And uh, Peter was written by, 1 Peter was written by Peter. And that's, that's I, I'm here to tell you this, like really, this, you know, if, if I didn't have my seminary degree, where would I be? Um, but First Peter, uh, written by Peter, to a people who were really uh, going through it. They were going through a really hard time. They were undergoing a lot of persecution. And so uh, they were losing their jobs because they were Christians. They were losing their ability to, to work. Uh, they were losing, some of them were losing their freedom and some of them were losing their lives. And so what Peter does is he writes to people who are going through a hard time and he, he reminds them over and over and over again of hope of the hope that they have, and that hope is anchored and it's fixed on the resurrection of Jesus that we're celebrating here this morning. So, so 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now let me draw our attention. I just, it's a mouthful. But verse 3, look at verse 3 for a moment. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so that's what I want to talk about, this living hope that we have. It's a living hope. It is not an empty hope. And when you go through a time of crisis like we've gone through, like we've been living in, there's a lot of false hope that's offered. There's a lot of empty promises. Politicians are, you know, throwing out hope and this, that, and the other thing. There's, a, you know, there's, there's these like miracle cures that people are peddling on TV. There's a lot of false hope that's out there. And, and the thing is about false hopes is they don't actually do anything to help us with our fears. And I think that's what's happened this past year is a lot of fears have, have been exposed, right? We've, we've been afraid of losing our jobs. We were afraid. Remember early on in the pandemic a year ago, like we were really worried that we, that we weren't going to be able to get what we needed to get at the supermarket, right? We were afraid about supply chains and we didn't know if like food would be at the supermarket and toilet paper and things that are needed. There were all these fears. There was fears about isolation, fears about loneliness. But, but I think the biggest fear, 
I think the macro fear that we were all dealing with, the fear that's kind of under every fear, not just last year, but the fear that's under every fear that human beings have and human beings have had forever is the fear of death. I mean, that's really what it was. Like, you peel everything back. It was the fear of death. Why do we wear masks, right? We wore masks because we were afraid we didn't want to die, right? Why did we socially distance? We socially distanced because we didn't want to die or we didn't want our loved ones to die. There was the fear of death that was really driving so much of what we were dealing with. Now, I've been a Christian for 38 years, ever since I was 17 years old. Do the math, Lee, 30, yeah, no, 38 years. You can do the math. I'm old. Um, but uh, so, so my whole thinking about death for my whole entire adult life has been, as a follower of Jesus, has been, you know, being part of a resurrection story, a resurrection narrative. And when, you, when you're part of a resurrection narrative, when, you're part, when, you're, when you enter into a resurrection story, what that means is you can have hope no matter what goes on. Because you know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so you're connected to that resurrection story. So no matter what happens, you can have hope. That's why Peter says that it's a living hope and it's tied to the resurrection. But one of the things that I've, I've, I've really wondered about, and I, I honestly, I really do wonder about this, because I've been part of this resurrection story for 38 years. I wonder, like, how do people who don't have faith deal with the inevitability of death? Like, like seriously, like, I don't know how people do it. I don't, I don't know, like, when there isn't the hope of faith and a belief in the resurrection, I don't know how you say goodbye to a loved one. I don't know how you deal with those, you know, those existential dread moments when you think, like, I'm going to die, and what's going to happen when I die? Uh, it, because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to deal. That is a reality. That is something that faces every single person. And so Wikipedia... They had this article, I think they took it down because they got a lot of flack for it, but they had this article which was entitled, How to Overcome the Fear of Death. And so it was written from a totally like secular perspective, uh, no appeals to faith, no appeals to God. And so just basically, what if you're like worried about death? How do you deal with that? And uh, it's not particularly comforting. It's not something that I would say stirs up any hope. Let me read you a couple excerpts from this. This is real. I didn't make this up. Understand that life is a cycle. People are born, people die, and more people are born. Don't fear that you're being singled out, that you have to fear death. So, I mean, that's helpful. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to die and you're going to like go into this like whatever. You have no idea, but don't worry. You're not the only one. Everyone's going to die. So, you know, we're all in the same boat. Uh, then it goes on and it says, live life the way you're supposed to. Don't waste your time worrying about death. Instead, fill each day with as much joy as possible and don't let things get you down. Go outside, play with friends, pick up a new sport. And what I was thinking is, like, pick up a new sport. Like, if you're living, spending your last few years in a nursing home, I don't know if that's really good advice to, like, pick up a new sport. But it kind of goes on in this vein. This is the last part I'll read from this. Because I'm going to get to the Bible, which actually offers a little more hope. Just do anything that will take your mind off of dying. <laughs> I mean, just, just distract yourself. Don't think about it. Swing dance. Skip rope. That seems kind of a random thing to be thrown in there. Like out of all the things that you could do, skip rope, uh, get a tattoo, take a French cooking class, do anything to help get your mind off the fact that one day you will die. <laughs> that's honestly, you take Jesus out of the equation, that's kind of what you're left with. 
And so that's why there's been so much anxiety. That's why there's been, that's why, that's, I think this is part of the big reason why people are kind of flipping out. You know, why people, you can just kind of tell that people are afraid. You know, there's one thing I was reading about an article this morning, and, uh, and it was talking about this new thing that they're diagnosing. It's called post-COVID engagement fear. Post-COVID engagement fear. What that is, is most people are excited that like the vaccine's rolling out or more people are in church and we can go to restaurants, we can see our friends. But there's a lot of people after a year of just being totally isolated, they're scared of engaging socially again, not because they're going to catch the disease. They're afraid because they just, they're out of practice. They don't know how to connect with people. That's like, that's like a thing. But you see, we have this real hope. We have this real hope, the empty hope that our culture offers, that doesn't get us through real suffering, right? The empty hope that the, that the world offers us doesn't get us through the death of a loved one, right? Taking up skipping rope is not going to help in that situation. Doesn't help if there's a failed business where everything that you've worked for, you just see everything just kind of go down the drain, or if there's a divorce, or if your hearts are broken in some way, or if you're betrayed. Peter reminds us that the resurrection of Jesus offers us a living hope, a real hope. It is not an empty hope. And so what I want to do this morning, just real quick, I want to talk about three characteristics of this hope that we have. The hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus, the first. And you have notes. If you want to open up your app, you can do fill in the notes. I've got some, you can fill in the blanks, and I've got some quotes, and all the scripture passages are there. But number one is we have a sure hope. We have a sure hope. Hope in the Bible is not the same thing as optimism. It's not the Bible saying trite little phrases like, hey, turn that frown upside down. It's not, you know, uh, remember the Bobby McFerrin song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? It's, it's not that. Hope in the Bible isn't just positive thinking or unbridled optimism. The Bible says the way we have hope is by putting our faith in something that we can count on. Putting our faith on something that we can take to the bank, something that is sure. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. I love that. With minds that are fully alert, sober. You don't have to distract yourself. You can like, you can be fully awake and face reality right there in the face. Set your hope on the grace that you're going to receive when Jesus Christ comes back. Because you see, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, you may not realize this, but we also, at the same time, we are celebrating the return of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he promised that he's going to come back, that he's going to return. And so those two are intimately connected. The foundation of our sure hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Edward Clowney, a wonderful New Testament theologian, he put it this way. He says, our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is anchored in the future. Jesus is coming. We have a hope that is anchored. You can say amen over that. We have a living hope. And so I can have hope in any situation because I pin my hope on this one truth. No matter what happens in 2021, that is not the basis of my hope. The basis of my hope is on this one, this one truth. Jesus Christ, who di- he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And if I unite myself with Jesus, it guarantees that I will also rise from the dead. Not only will I rise from the dead, 
but everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will rise from the dead. That is the foundation of my hope, and that is a hope that no circumstances can take away. Now, you might ask, and it's a fair question, how do we know that Jesus actually did rise from the dead? How do we know that that's not just like a distraction, like swing dancing or taking a French cooking class or believing in Jesus and just kind of getting your mind off of this like reality and inevitability of death? How do we know that? Now, there's been some really interesting scholarship. Uh, biblical theologians, uh, academicians, have come up with a kind of unique way of thinking about the evidence for the resurrection. Now, there's a, there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection. Now, a big part of the evidence for the resurrection is that there's, you know, so many of you would stand up right now if we had testimony time and you would testify. You would say, I met Jesus. Jesus changed my life. Jesus healed me. I met the living Christ. And that's, that's powerful. I mean, I'm not trying to take away from that at all. But there's also other kinds of evidence. There's empirical evidence. And so I've, over the last like year and a half, I've kind of done a deep dive. I always was interested in this kind of stuff, but for some reason, over the last year and a half, I've just read a lot about the, re about the resurrection, uh, apologetics and theology about the resurrection and philosophy and just thinking through, thinking through the reality of the resurrection. And so one book that I've read that's really good It's called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. And it's written by these two guys named Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona. And they proposed this new way of thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. They, they said, let's look at like the, exactly how they, how they said it. They, they talked about, uh, about looking at it, uh, the lowest common denominators. The lowest common denominators. We're going to talk about things that all historians agree on. Like all, you know, whether they're atheists, whether they're secular, whether they're agnostic, whether they're Christian, whether they're of another faith. Some things that all historians agree on. And so let's look at the facts, the lowest common denominator facts that everybody agrees on. And let's kind of see where that leads us. And so they identify four lowest common denominator facts. And just bear with me for, I read a lot of books. Give me a few minutes to talk about this so, that, so, it's, so I can get something out of it. But, but I actually, I, 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 I love this kind of stuff. I just love to think about the sure foundation that we stand on. And so lowest common resurrection denominators, number one, is Jesus died by crucifixion. Like that, every historian believes that Jesus died by crucifixion. There was a time years ago where people would say, oh, Jesus didn't really exist. He's a myth. Nobody says that anymore because uh, archaeological evidences have just really shown that, no, Jesus, not only did Jesus exist, Jesus died. He died on the cross. He was crucified. And we know that not only because of what the Bible says, we know that because of other contemporary historians, Jewish and Roman historians, wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus. People like Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian. Uh, it's, there's a lot written about it in the Jewish Talmud. You find it. And so every, every expert, every historian agrees Jesus died by crucifixion. The second fact that is indisputable is that Jesus' tomb was empty. Right? Jesus' body was put in the tomb, and then a couple days later, his body wasn't in the tomb. And where did it go? Now that was, again, that we, we find that in the Gospels. But, but there's other things written by other contemporary historians and others, you know, Jewish and Romans, who attest to the reality that the tomb was empty. So the third uh, lowest common resurrection denominator is that many people reported meeting the risen Jesus. So, so Jesus, you know, he rose from the dead, and, and lots of people said, I met the resurrected Jesus. 
And again, that's something that is indisputed. Everyone agrees that there were lots of people living in the first century who said, I met the resurrected Jesus. And then the last one is that the early church grew explosively after Jesus was crucified. Right? I mean, that's absolutely like clear, right? The, the church grew like crazy. What you need to understand is that there were a lot of messiahs at that time. Actually, there was like messiahs were kind of a dime a dozen because uh, I think it's because Daniel had written some dates and years and weeks and, and people kind of did the math and had the expectation that the messiah would show up around the time that Jesus showed up. So there were lots of messiahs and they would have followers. But what happened to all of these wannabe messiahs is the Romans eventually dealt with them, right? The Romans eventually killed them. And so what happened when, when these false messiahs were killed, their followers went home. Their followers, like they either got out of the messiah game or maybe they found another messiah, but Jesus's followers were different because Jesus's followers, they had this message. They said, yes, our messiah was killed by the Romans like all the other messiahs were, but God raised our messiah from the dead. And in this resurrected Messiah, there is forgiveness of sins. And so what Habermas and Lincona argue is that when you just take, there's other facts, there's other things we could consider, but just take these four. And what they say is there is not an alternative theory that better accounts for these four facts than this one truth, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's no other way. Like if you look at these things, which are indisputable, there's just, there's no other explanation. Like how could these things be if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so, you know what, I, I have read a lot of the new atheists. I've, I've listened to podcasts by Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and just all of them. And they, they talk about reasons they don't believe in God and they don't like things that God did in the Old Testament or they have philosophical things or they don't like things that Christians did in the, you know, in the Middle Ages. I've never, I've never heard one of them ever even touch the resurrection. Like they never talk about it because there's no explanation. There's no explanation for it. And I was talking to someone a couple of years ago who had informed me that they no longer believed in Jesus. And I'm just, you know, having this conversation back and forth. And what I said to them in a, you know, just a friendly kind of debate kind of way, I said, listen, I talked about these four things. And I said, I read this stuff all the time. I'm, you know, help me out. If you come across something that offers an explanation that doesn't lead to Jesus rose from the dead, please let me know. And this person's like, okay, I'll let you know. And they haven't gotten back to me. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to get back to me because there isn't an explanation. Like I said, you know, our hope is not just based on empirical evidence. Uh, our hope is, you know, a big, huge part of it are the, the testimonies, the subjective experiences that we've had encountering the risen Christ. But it's nice to know that there's an empirical foundation that we can stand on, that our hope is a sure hope. And there's so much more I could say about that. I would encourage you to read that book uh, if, uh, if this is something that interests you. The second, the second quality of our hope that I want to talk about this morning is we have a realistic hope. We have a realistic hope. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now, our hope, resurrection hope, is grounded in reality. And what that means is, listen, this world is cruel. I mean, that's, you know, we've seen in 2020 how this world is cruel in a lot of different ways. But we see that this world is cruel because this world is so jacked up that you could have someone like Jesus who comes and preaches this message of love and says, forgive everyone and heals people, and they nail him to a cross. And so this world, this is a harsh world. But the resurrection message 
The hope that we have because of the resurrection isn't if if you have enough faith, nothing bad is going to happen to you. It's not you won't experience loss. You won't experience pain. No, Peter says you will have to suffer grief in all, all kinds of trials. And it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or you're an agnostic or you're Muslim or you're Jewish or you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Regardless of your belief, regardless of your behavior, you might be someone who has a ton of integrity. You might be someone who has no integrity. It doesn't matter your education level. It doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter your, doesn't matter your race. In this life, you will suffer all kinds of trials. There's no escaping suffering in this world. And the resurrection faith is a faith, it's a hope that can stand up under trials. Now, there was, there was this guy named, uh, named Admiral James Stockdale. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He was back in 1992. He was Ross Perot's vice presidential running mate. Uh, but before that, he was an admiral in the Navy. And so he was also, during the Vietnam War, he was a POW. And he was the highest ranking uh, POW. So he was like a prize, you know, for the Vietnamese in, in that war. And so he was, a, he was in a, a horrible POW camp for seven years, and then he was released. And so he was asked, what kind of people didn't survive the POW camp? And what he said, which was a surprise, he said the ones who didn't surprise the POW camp were the optimists. And you think, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not what you would think because optimists, you know, you're happy, you're positive. You're... And he said, no, what would happen is they would say, we're going to be out by Christmas. You know, we're in this living hell, but we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and they were still there. Well, we're going to be out by Easter. I, yes, I know we're going to be out by Easter. Nope, they were still there. By my birthday, by next Christmas, by next Easter. And so they kept telling themselves this. And what James Stockdale said is that they eventually died of a broken heart. And so there's something called the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox, it's in this book by Jim Collins called Good to Great, a classic book on leadership. And the Stockdale Paradox says this, it says, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties. So you need to know that you're going to overcome. You need to know that whatever your circumstances are, they aren't going to defeat you. It's not going to ground you into the dirt. You need to know that you're going to overcome. But at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And hope in the resurrection. Resurrection faith enables you to embrace that Stockdale paradox. Because we know that there will be pain. We know that there will be heartbreak. There will be disease. There will be loss. We will suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but we know that Jesus will never leave us and he will never forsake us. We know that in everything that we deal with, everything that goes on, that God is always at work bringing good out of each and every situation. And we know that no matter what hand we're dealt in this life, that we will prevail in the end because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, therefore we will also rise from the dead. Even death will not defeat us. And so we have a living hope. We have a hope that's grounded in reality. If you have a resurrection faith, whatever the world will throw at you, your faith, your hope will be able to endure because it's connected to the resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, we have a glorious hope. 
1 Peter 1.7, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, our glorious hope is that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, and I love where Peter says, it's more valuable than gold. Do you realize if you have, like, like I straight up believe this, if you have a true faith, in the resurrected Jesus, you have more of a basis for hope than someone who has like 100,000 pounds of gold. Like you really do. That's what Peter's saying. Is that because you know what? The hope that you have, nothing can touch that. Nothing can change that. Nothing can take that away. That is forever. And what it says here is that it will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we have a glorious hope that says if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we will receive glory when Jesus returns. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible essay years ago. It's called The Weight of Glory. And what he did is C.S. Lewis, as only C.S. Lewis can do, he explored, like, what does it mean that we're going to receive glory when Jesus comes back? And so we looked at it on one level, and he said this. He said, Jesus said, no one can enter heaven except as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child, not just a conceited child, but in a good child, as its great and undisguised pleasure at being praised, not only in a child, but even in a dog or a horse. The most childlike pleasure is to be praised by someone superior to ourselves. And so we know this to be true, right? If you go to a four-year-old or a five-year-old, a little person, as a big person, and you say, you tied your shoe. What a good job. That little person is going to smile from ear to ear because a big person is praising them. And so what Lewis is saying is part of the glory that we will receive is we will hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Like you will hear Jesus say, good job. You held on to me. You went through, listen, you weren't perfect, but the ups and downs and all of that, you held on to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's part of the glory. And you, you know what, you know, Jesus is big and we're little and we're going to smile from ear to ear when we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But Lewis says there's more. It goes deeper than that. And what he says is glory means brightness, splendor, luminosity. We are going to shine like the sun. We do not merely want to see beauty. We want something else that can hardly be put into words to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. In other words, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that once the trials and difficulties of this life are over and we have our sure hope, we have our living hope, we have our glorious hope that it will bring us not only to see the glory of Jesus, to see Jesus face to face, but somehow we will also share in his glory. Paul said this in Romans eight seventeen: Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. See, the glory of God, not only will you see the glory of God, the glory will shine in us and through us. You will be filled with the glory of God. Yes, life is hard. 
Yes, 2020 and 2021 so far has been hard. Yes, we don't know what's coming, but we know what the future holds. Those of us who have entrusted our life to Jesus Christ, one day we will shine like the sun. We will prevail. We will overcome. And we will be filled with the glory of God. And what I want to encourage you to do is to fix your hope. I don't know where you're hurting today. I don't know where you're feeling hopeless, but here we are Easter Sunday and we're reminded of the resurrection of this living hope and we've got the, the Easter lilies which are kind of coming alive and you know, we, we've got all these things that can remind us. Fix your eyes on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on him because here's what I can promise you. The living hope of the resurrection and I know, listen, even I know I'm, I'm talking to people who I'm talking to people right now who have suffered in 2020, who I know have suffered. We all have. And I know some of you have even more so. But what I want to tell you is that the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ is sure. It is strong. It will get you through. It will not only get you through, it'll get you through with joy. So let's all stand. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for your grace to flow into this room right now. Lord, this resurrection life that we're talking about, it's not just a concept, God. It's not just an idea. It's a living hope. And so, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit right now that this living hope would come and just flood our hearts, fill our minds. That even as that, that quote that we read from Clowney, that, Lord Jesus, because you rose, there's hope in our past. Because you're with us, we have hope right now. And because you're coming back, our future is a glorious future. And Lord, I thank you, God, that we will see you in all of your glory and we will somehow mysteriously share in your glory. But God, I pray that even right now, we would have a taste of your glory. We would have a taste of your glory, God. Fill us right now. Let your glory fall in this place. Let your glory come and just, and just strengthen our hearts and fill us up and give us joy and give us hope. And give us that superpower to deal with whatever it is we need to deal with today in this season. You are hope, God. You are the one that we look to. You are the one who never disappoints. You are the one who's gotten us through this far. And so we know, Lord God, that you will bring us all the way home. We know, Lord, that one day we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And boy, those words will be, they will be music to our ears. God, what a glorious day that will be when we not only see your glory, but we, we're filled with your glory. We share your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. You're so good to us. And listen, if you're here right now, if you're in the room or if you're watching on the live stream, and you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's no better time to do it than Easter Sunday. I mean, this is, you're at the right time, right place. See, because there's the reality. Jesus says that he stands at the door and he knocks. And that if we open up the door, he's going to come in. 
And so if you have not yet opened up the door of your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I need your hope. I need, your, I, need you to, I need to accept your free gift of salvation. You need to invite him in. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. So if you're ready to do that, just close your eyes and pray this prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm kind of hopeless, God. And I need your living hope. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. I believe that you rose from the dead. And let me just say, even if it's hard for you to believe that, Jesus encountered someone who said, um, you know, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And Jesus still did a miracle for that man. So that's okay for you to say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. But Lord, I, I believe that you rose from the dead. I ask that you forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, I'm going to get in the back seat and I'm going to let you drive because you are now the Lord of my life. Just keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you're in the room, let me just see. God bless you. Okay. Just raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Praise the Lord. Those of you at home as well, if you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you guys to do this. I want you to text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. And if you do that, let us know that you prayed this prayer. Then we're going to reach out to you this week. And we're going to say, hey, how can we pray for you? We're going to say, you know, maybe here's the next step that you can take. And and, and kind of figure out how we can come alongside of you and help you help you walk out this relationship with Jesus. All right? Uh, so, so we're going to have uh, an opportunity for prayer. If maybe folks from the prayer team, come on over here to my right. If you need prayer for anything in your life this Easter Sunday, keep your mask on. Uh, we do it socially distanced, but we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us on Easter Sunday. And uh, have a wonderful Easter. And may, your, may, may not only this day, but this week and this month and this year be filled with the living hope that we get from Jesus Christ. God bless you.